0: Father, thank you so much for your word this morning.
1: Thank you, Lord, for giving us not only a word, but also your spirit to teach us your word. We welcome him, we love him, and we ask him now to take the leadership in each one of our hearts. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis forty seven verse eleven. Forty seven eleven. And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Joseph nourished his father, his brethren, all his father's household with bread according to their families. There was no bread in all the land for the famine was very sore so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan for the corn which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, "'Give us bread. Why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth.'" Joseph said, "'Give your cattle. I will give you for your cattle if money fail.'" They brought their cattle unto Joseph. Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and for flocks, for cattle, for herds, and for the asses. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. When that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, We will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land?" Buy us in our land for bread, and we in our land will be servants unto Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. Joseph brought all the land; and it bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for the Egyptians sold every man his field because the famine prevailed over them, so the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them to cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end thereof. Only the land of the priests bought he not. For the priests had a portion assigned them of Pharaoh, and did eat their portion which Pharaoh gave them, wherefore they sold not their lands. Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day in your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, you shall sow the land. It shall come to pass in the increase that you shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own, for seed of the field, and for your food, and for them of your households, and food for your little ones." They said, thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt unto this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth part, except the land of the priests only, which became not Pharaoh's. Okay, now, in our last study, you remember how we saw that Jacob had this one and only opportunity to speak to the heart of Pharaoh, and he took it. And he knew that it was going to be a now or never situation when he talked to Pharaoh. And so he gave him his testimony that he was a pilgrim. And we said that, that Jacob did this because when Jacob looked at Pharaoh, Jacob didn't see an Egyptian, even though he was, Pharaoh was Egyptian. Jacob looked at Pharaoh and he didn't see the richest man in the world, even though he was. And Jacob looked at Pharaoh and he didn't see the sovereign over Egypt, which he was. But when Jacob looked at Pharaoh, Jacob just saw one thing. He saw a poor soul that was in desperate need of God. Not an Egyptian, not a rich man, not a king, just a soul. That's what he saw, just a soul. And that drove Jacob to speak to Pharaoh indirectly, instruct him indirectly about his need to also join him and become a pilgrim like Joseph. And that's the way we should see souls. That just like Jacob did, I tell my Jewish friends, I tell my Orthodox rabbi friends, that when I see them, I don't see them as Jewish. And I don't see them as religious. And I don't see them as either rich or poor. I just see them as individuals. Because that's what God wants us to see. People as individuals. That's why it's so important when working with souls, with lost souls, to get to know them to ask questions about their family, about their interests, about their history, because all of that process of getting to know them and asking you questions is really like us taking a palette of paints and a paintbrush and, and in our mind, painting a picture of who they are. Take them out of the group. Take them out of the group of being one of the many Jews or, and put them in a group of one, just them as a unique individual. Why? Because to have compassion on a person, you have to know him. And to love a person, you have to know him. And this is what drove Jacob when he instructed Pharaoh by telling him that he was a pilgrim on his way to God. But there was something else that was happening in verses uh, seven through 10 here when Jacob was talking to Pharaoh. And that was in this conversation that started out by Pharaoh asking Jacob how old he was, Jacob was then becoming conscious and thinking about his past life. And he was taking time for a moment then to look over his life as an overview, because that's what he talked about. And as we saw that Jacob speaking to to Pharaoh, there was this air of seriousness about his conversation. It wasn't frivolous. It wasn't off the cup. Jacob was realizing that I'm instructing Pharaoh now and Pharaoh is Pharaoh, he's, a, he's in need of the Lord. But also, this nation that he is over, that he's the king over, is in desperate need of salvation. But, but Jacob was also very pleased with this opportunity that he had to make a life confession, which is what he did here. And as we see Jacob, happy, to really, to make a life confession to a monarch, that, that it reminds us of when Paul was in that same situation when he made his life confession to another monarch, and that was King Agrippa, and that's given to us in Acts 26. Acts 26, 1 and 2, explains this, that then Agrippa said to Paul, thou art permitted to speak for thyself. And here's what Paul did. Then stretched Paul, then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy. King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before touching all the things whereof I'm accused of the Jews. So Paul had already said that he wasn't ashamed of the gospel in Romans 1, 6. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel. It was because it was the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's not only not ashamed of the gospel, but he was happy to testify of how he was saved and what his life has been like. And that's why Paul said, I think myself happy. I remember a long time ago, 1984 November, in 1984, when, when I got a, 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 I'd been a believer for 14 years, as so I say, in 1970, so it's easy for me to remember. I was born in 1950, that's also very easy for me to remember. But anyway, 1984 in November, I got this letter from my father, and it was a very troubling letter, because in the letter, he accused me of turning away from my Russian Jewish heritage, I never really thought of myself as a Russian, but anyway, he, that's what he said, because his parents, my grandparents were from Russia. And so, from turning away from my Russian Jewish heritage by following, by following Christ, as he put it. And when I got that letter, that night, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. I, and I got up at one in the morning, and I did what, what Jacob did here, like Jacob speaking of fear, I wrote out this life confession and I told how my conviction that Jesus Christ was God and how it impacted my personal life, my family life, my business life. And I remember when I finished the letter, how happy I felt. How happy I felt as I looked over my life and I said to myself, actually, that's right. You know, I really do believe that. And I went back to sleep. And this is what Jacob is doing here. Jacob is, and we can see him happy, happy as he's talking about his life as a pilgrim. And he's telling... Pharaoh that, look, he wasn't just a pilgrim because he moved into Egypt from Canaan. He's always been a pilgrim, which led to the obvious question of, you know, well, if you weren't home when you were home, where are you going? You know? And that's what Pharaoh began to understand. Pharaoh understood that home for Jacob was not on this earth. But Jacob was traveling through this world and using this world, just like it was another, uh, just like it was a hotel, because he was off to where he was going he was off to another world he was off to another world and that's the basic confession of a christian in hebrews 11:13 every christian has this confession as it says in hebrews 11:13 these all died in faith not having the promises not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, Hebrews 11, 13. So, Jacob, as we look at him here, he becomes an example for us of witnessing. Why? Because he's an example to us as we see him, as we should do, looking for an opening question, which in this case was, how old are you? And then answering beyond the immediate question, which was the days of the years of my life, of my pilgrimage, and answer with a life confession of the Lord Jesus, what the Lord Jesus has meant, made him a pilgrim, and this is what's so remarkable on this scene, and, and, and what else is remarkable is, because we, we're focused on Jacob, was also as remarkable as Pharaoh, because Pharaoh receives this, let me put it this way, Pharaoh, what's remarkable about Pharaoh is how he receives Jacob, Pharaoh receives Jacob, you know, he didn't didn't receive Jacob as an inferior, you know, a serf, someone he's going to give land to and is going to, you know, mooch off of, of his storehouse. He didn't receive him that way. Pharaoh receives Jacob with a certain reverence. It's like Pharaoh has recognized in this very old man, Jacob, that somehow he is a representative of another world a world very different from Egypt. And that's why Pharaoh places himself on the receiving end as he lets Jacob bless him, not once, but twice. So the king was blessed by the prince. You know, Israel means prince of God. And so the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, is blessed by the prince with God. Now, I don't know. But maybe Pharaoh was actually wanting this blessing, asking for this blessing, not as a polite formality, because, but was because Pharaoh viewed this blessing as something that had a divine nature, a divine value to it for both himself and for his kingdom. Now, we come to verse 11. And you remember, I just read verses 11 through 26, because it's important to look at it as a whole, because there's a very interesting progression that you see in these verses 11 through 26. I mean, what we see in the first part, which is verses 11 and 12, in verses 11 and 12, we see, and Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them for a possession in the land of Egypt in the best of the land in the land of Ramses as Pharaoh had commanded. And then it says in verse 13, 12 rather, verse 12, and Joseph nourished his father and his brethren and all his father's household with bread according to their families. So this is the first part of this progression in these two verses here. What you see here is that, and it's summed up as Joseph nourished his family, took, put them in the right put in the place, put it, got them situated, and then nourished them. So the focus of these two verses, 11 and 12, is that Joseph first gets his father and brothers officially in the land of, jo- of Goshen, the best of the land, and he makes sure that they're nourished, they're taken care of with, with bread for all the families. In fact, it even makes a point saying that he made, he made sure they had enough for all their families. Then, so that's in the first two verses. Then this whole next section, 13 to 26 The emphasis switches completely away from his family to Egypt, to the rest of Egypt. And that's where it starts off in verse 13, and it says, And there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. So what we see here in this passage as a whole, verses 11 to 26, is it deals with needs of the family and the needs of Egypt. And it's a history of the sequence of how Joseph provided food for his family and then for the Egyptians. And there's something to that progression because Joseph takes care of his family, then he takes care of the Egyptians. Or you might say, Joseph first, first, Joseph saves his family from starvation. And then second, Joseph saves the Egyptians from starvation. Now, when you look at that, you can see In a nutshell there, that progression, like a prophecy, a prophecy for the future that's taught in Scripture. For example, there's a famine in the earth today. There's a famine because of sin. And this famine because of sin is spiritual famine. Spiritual famine because of sin, it affects the whole world. As the Bible says in Romans 3.23, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the consequences of this spiritual famine is this the state of the state, not the event, but the state of eternal death in hell, as the Bible says in Romans six twenty three. Romans six twenty three the wages of sin is death. And just as Joseph came and nourished his family first, our heavenly Joseph came to his own family first and he tried to nourish them when it says when he said in Matthew 15:24 Matthew 15:24 but he answered and said i am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of israel and then when he sent out his disciples he told them in Matthew 10:5 Matthew 10:5 and 6 Matthew 10:5 and 6 these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then the heavenly Joseph, the Lord Jesus, he tried to nourish his family when he when he sent out his disciples, but something happened. Unlike Joseph's family, the heavenly Joseph's family, the Lord Jesus' family, did not allow him to nourish them, as it says in John one eleven. John 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. They said no. And when he came to Jerusalem, it affected him. Because when he came to Jerusalem, it says in Luke 19.41, Luke 19.41 and 42, Luke 19.41 to 42, when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. That'd be the city of Jerusalem. He wept over it, saying, if thou hadst known, even now, at least in this thy day, the things which belong to thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. Why did he weep? Because they would not let him nourish them. And then the Lord Jesus remented, lamented over over, over their, their their rejection of him, over their refusal over when they said no. And he mourned over it, and that they would not let him nourish them, and that's when he cried out in Luke thirteen thirty four. Luke thirteen thirty four. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. That's a picture of an attempt to nourish a hen gathering chickens. Why? Why was he lamenting? Because they would not let him nourish them. And then when he spoke in parables to them, he was giving these analogies to them about it, which really centered on their refusal to let him nourish them. When he said in Matthew 22, one, Matthew 22, one, Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, just like he sent the disciples out, and they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, first he sends 12, then he sends 70, and he sent other servants saying, tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. They mocked him. Oh, if thou be the son of God. They mocked him. And he knew the danger that they were putting themselves into by not letting him nourish them, as it says in, in, in Hebrews 12.25. Hebrews 12.25 says, See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. And he tries to nourish them because he knew what, that they only had this really short golden opportunity. They only had this window of opportunity here to respond to him. And after that, it was gonna be too late. It was gonna be too late. Just like it was too late, and it is and as a principle, that's spoken in Proverbs one twenty four. In Proverbs one twenty four, it says, it's God speaking? Because I have called, and you refused; I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But you said it not. All my counsel would none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock." when your fear cometh when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind when distress and anguish cometh upon you then shall they call upon me and i will not answer they shall seek me early but they shall not find me that is the worst condition for man to pray to be sincere to cry out to god with all of his heart and the door shut there is no response there's no answer and that's what he's describing here why because during this golden opportunity time when they had a chance when they had an opportunity to respond to God and they laughed it off and said no then when trouble comes then oh they want to be saved they really want but God says sorry door is closed see it says in proverbs 13:18 proverbs 13:18 poverty and shame shall be to him that refuses instruction refuses instruction just like it says in daniel and Daniel says that many that sleep in the earth shall awake to shame and contempt. And it says in Proverbs fifteen thirty two, Proverbs fifteen thirty two, he that refuseth instruction despises his own soul. He's hurting himself. And it broke the Lord's heart when he realized this. He broke the Lord's heart when his family would not let him nourish them, like Joseph's family let him nourish them, and he, because he knew what was awaiting them. He knew what was awaiting them, as it says in hebrews two three hebrews two three says how should, we, how should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him so he so much tried to nourish them, he so much tried to protect them because he knew what was awaiting them hebrews ten twenty seven hebrews ten twenty seven but a certain Fearful, looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy, under two or three witnesses. How much sore punishment! Suppose you shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.
2: Experience a short-term missions trip to Israel, the land and people to whom the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Not only walk where the Lord Jesus walked, but reach who He reached, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Be a part of the encouraging Jewish friends to receive the Lord Jesus. Israel Alive is all about making friendships with lost Israelis that will hopefully be eternal. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel one friendship at a time. For more information, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org Join us for the Taste of Creation silent auction and fundraiser for the Creation and Earth History Museum, Israel Restoration and Friendship with God Ministries on Saturday, July 14th at 6 p.m. Enjoy an amazing evening of fantastic food, music, prizes, and a special message by ministry president Tom Cantor and guest speaker Frank Sherwin. Your participation and support of this fun-filled evening helps sustain these vital ministries to equip future generations and promote the furtherance of the gospel message. Register today at www.tasteofcreation.com That's tasteofcreation.com